Good morning, good morning, good morning, brothers and sisters. I'd like to say a big thank you to Joyce, Ben, and Mel for leading us in worship this morning. The Neo Trio, as it were, it was a great blessing to see you guys worshiping together as a family and leading us in that worship as well. So thank you very much, and I look forward to many more worship sessions with you guys leading in the future. Well, praise God. The, the restrictions are starting to ease. Praise God that we have this opportunity now to have grandparents meet up with grandkids now, that people are able to go back to work or go back to school. Praise God that there are, and even though still restrictions, that things are starting to ease up and things are starting to open up as well. But please be wise in what you do. Please be wise and restrict yourselves and adhere to those social distancing restrictions and adhere to just things like washing your hands and common sense things. Be considerate of those people at risk, those people at risk within our church, those people that are still in the front lines doing the hard work and that are from our church as well. And, and please continue to pray for our leadership. Pray for Scott Morrison. Pray for the Premier of New South Wales, who I don't even know her name, but pray for the leaders of each of the states. So what's best for the, the state, what's best for the nation might be able to, to be exercised and done in a very wise and cautious way, but enables us to get back to some sense of normalcy throughout the world and throughout this country. Praise the Lord that we are called to live by faith and not by sight. Praise the Lord that we are governed by the fact of God's truth and not by our feelings. Because feelings, as good and as important as they are, they have a tendency of leading down us, leading us down the wrong path many a time because more often than not we feel like failures more often than not we feel like we don't measure up more often than not we feel like we are inadequate and that we fall short of what's required from us whether it be from the expectations within our home or within our workplace, or even just in general, as we fail to meet the expectations we have of ourselves. And because we don't feel the way we should, we often end up in a state of despair and of frustration. And this is why when we have such feelings, as it were, the enemy often uses such things to cast doubt upon the truth of God's word and upon the promises that are held within. He did so with Adam and Eve in the garden when he cast doubt on God's promise of God's word. Did God really say in Genesis 3? It is the attempt that even Satan himself tried against the Lord Jesus, that in the temptation, while Jesus was above uh, standing upon the temple, that he uses the word of God and says, cast yourself down for it is written that the angels will bear you up where you won't dash your foot upon a stone. And it's even evident in the state of the world today with the spirit of the age where there are scoffers and mockers in the last days who say, where is the promise of his coming? For things have continued as they have since the beginning in Second Peter chapter 3. And which such things going around today, that's why today's passage is so encouraging. That's why today's passage is so exciting, because within today's passage, within the book of Colossians, 
we have a instruction in how we are to live. We have warning and what to be aware of, and we have direction pointing us to him who is above all and over all. And it's in him that we find our wholeness. It is in him that we have our fullness fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So join me in a word of prayer and we'll turn to the book of Colossians and continue our study within. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you so much for your encouragement within the scriptures. We pray now as we look into your word, you might open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear and soften our hearts to respond in accordance with your spirit, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you recall a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, we looked at Paul's concern for the Colossian church, Paul's concern for us. And as we continue in that passage today, we see some basic instruction in faith that Paul looks to equip these believers in a basic instruction in faith that we can draw from and learn ourselves. If you look at verses six and seven, what we read is this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul begins this passage, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, a phrase that is used in order to give us pause and to take stock and remember how one becomes a Christian. If there is anything that has come about through this pandemic, it's actually illuminated for me the reality that being a Christian or becoming a Christian is not dependent upon attending a church building. It is not dependent upon going through religious practices, nor is it dependent upon trying harder or being better as a person. No, one becomes a Christian when one believes and places their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person, in the fullness of his work, and in the fullness of his position. That by faith, when one believes, one receives salvation in Christ, receives redemption from sin, and receives the adoption of sons. This is evident in a classic passage in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. A gift is not paid for. A gift is not earned. A gift is merely received. And it is the gift of God that we receive in the person of Jesus Christ. We even told this in John chapter 1, verse 12, that when one receives Christ, to all who did receive him and to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. 
That's how one becomes a Christian. That is how one is born again by the Spirit of God. And what Paul is doing here, after he causes you to take stock, to give pause, and to remember how one becomes a Christian, he applies this truth about how one lives as a Christian. For he says, as you have received, continue to live your lives in him. Wait a minute. That then implies that as one received Christ, one continues to live sanctified in Christ, which means that the same dependence for your salvation from sin is the same dependence in which you live in this newness of life. The same trust that your name is written in the book of life is the same trust to be placed upon the promises of God. The same reliance that makes you a citizen of heaven is the same reliance that enables you to be an ambassador of Christ. That the same believing in the trustworthiness of Jesus' words that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit is the same believing in the trustworthiness of his promises that states that you are now to walk in this life that he has enabled you to walk in as a new creation in Christ. This is the basic instruction in faith, that as you have believed and received, so you believe and live. What you have believed and received in your salvation is the believing and receiving for you to live in your sanctification. And if we can grasp that, if we can get a hold of that particular truth, then what takes place is what's called in verse, sorry, in verse 7, a rooting and a building up of us and a strengthening. To be rooted and built up in him, there is a, a fullness of security as in being established. There is a fullness of involvement as in being built because rooted means being established firmly and deeply. It means being steadfast. It means being fastened securely. It's, a, it's like a, a picture of this is given in Psalm 1 when it says that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that will bring forth his fruit in his season. Because he's drawing from the waters for sustenance and for nutrition. They're grounded deep within the scriptures. That's what it's referring to there. And, and being built up, having the involvement of the master builder himself, who with the picture of what the finished product will be, will take one living stone here and one living stone there, as it talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2. That you also, like living stones, have built up a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. And in, in that that being rooted and established in that being built up and, and involved with what takes place from then is being strengthened, to be strengthened because in such security and in such involvement, there is this strengthening that takes place because of the truth of which you are grounded in and established in and built up by. To be able to grow in strength and to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in his word, to be strong in faith, to be strong in dependence, to be strong in relationship. 
That's what takes place as you live a life by faith depending on the person of Jesus Christ. For having this basic instruction for faith or in faith in place, having that in place, that how one became a Christian is how one is supposed to live as a Christian is done so in order to be aware of error. You have a basic instruction in faith in order to be aware of error. And this is in verse 8. If you recall a couple of weeks ago, I touched on this when the Colossian church and the errors and the difficulties that they were experiencing. They had scholars and philosophers who were infiltrating the church and were detracting from the purity of who Jesus Christ is by either adding stuff to or seeking to take stuff away from who he is and what he has done for us as his people. Something quite familiar about that, actually, when you think about it in the long run. We'll look at that in a little bit. In verse 8, Paul warns them of this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You see, it is very easy. It is very easy for you and I to be caught up and to be imprisoned by people that are either qualified, that are charismatic. What I mean by that is gifted, whether they are articulate or even if they're intelligent, if they sound good, if they say something correctly, if they package it in a certain way, we often fall for such things to think, well, okay, that might be what it's supposed to be. And it draws us away from the foundations of what God's word says. So we need to be very aware of that. We need to be very careful of that. One person said a few years ago, I recall this, and I thought it was quite humorous, and the fact that one of the greatest cons of the modern era today is that of bottled water and how people are willing to pay a few dollars a pop to buy water that is pretty much free from your tap. I don't know what any of the intricacies are, but I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I still buy water now, which is, yeah, I've, still, I've fallen for that con. Anyway, the same packaging is being done within the church. The same packaging is done in order to get more people to come to church. They promise things that might be contrary to God's word or might be a watering down of his message. In order to get people to stay in the church, there might be an accommodating of various lifestyles or things that God would not approve of from the scriptures. In order to be less offensive, there might be a watering down of this gospel message that God came into the world to save sinners, of which I am chief. And so we might have these sorts of things taking place within the church in order to be more user-friendly, which we need to be aware of. And that's happening from within the church. Then you have things going on from outside of the church where you have people who are trying to enforce their standards, their values, their strategies on how to bring about unity from outside the church, saying how we should, could, should only speak certain truths from the pulpit and trying to limit what we can say. People who are coming in and saying, you're being intolerant, you're adding to disunity, you're being discriminatory. And, and that is trying to 
infiltrate the church even today where we are confronted and we are supposed to adhere to standards and values and ideologies outside of the church that are of this world as opposed to, as opposed to being of this word. Something we need to be aware of and to be careful we don't fall into that trap for the sake of being relevant, of being accepted. And so we need to be very careful of such human traditions and deceptive philosophies that take place. I would encourage you, encourage you, make sure you have yourself grounded within the word. Now, I remember a few years ago when a young man asked me and said, he actually said, well, with all the denominations within Christendom, with all of the religions that are out there, how do you know that what you have is the truth, that what you believe is what you're supposed to believe? Now, I basically said to him the best way to determine truth from falsehood, things which, which are pleasing to God and things that are not, is looking within the scriptures. If anything if anything diminishes, if anything takes away from the person of Jesus Christ and takes away from the work that he'd done at Calvary, if anything contradicts Scripture or seeks to, to belittle or, or to not be considered as important within their views, then that's something, that's a signpost, that's an alarm bell to go off. That's a red flag right there. Because if anything takes away or diminishes from Jesus Christ and for what he's done, then you have to be very, very weary because there are some views that view Jesus Christ just as a prophet there are some views that view Jesus Christ as an angel there are some views that view Jesus Christ as a teacher as an enlightened teacher as a good man as a myth as somebody that was just made up there are so many different views of Jesus Christ but what we are told is that we are looking for him that has the fullness of God that dwells within bodily that's who we are looking for this is who we're looking for, his deity, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. His humanity, that he was born of a virgin, born of a woman, born under the law. Of his purity, that he who knew no sin. Of his crucifixion and sacrifice for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Of his resurrection and ascension, that death where is your victory? Where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Where, all of those things, his ascension, that now he is seated at the right hand of the Father on high ever to make intercession from us. I'll say it once again, anything that diminishes or takes away from the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross is a red flag to say we should not be anywhere near that teaching. We should not. And the reason why Paul combats this, or how Paul combats this ideologies and these views, these vain philosophies, these human traditions, is by pointing people to Jesus Christ. By, by being better equipped with Christ. So you have basic instruction in faith in order to be aware of error, and that is done by being better equipped with Christ. In verses 9 through 15, we have this passage there where it just it displays and manifests everything that Jesus is and what he has done for us and how we partake of all that he has done in him. 
that we are better equipped in verses uh, 9. Yeah, sorry, I apologize. Verse 9 and 10 says this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. There are two beautiful pictures here, two beautiful points we need to take away from this. The first point is this, that when we look at the power, at the position, and at the person of Jesus Christ, he is more than an angel. He is more than a prophet. He is more than a teacher. He is more than just a good man. He is, he is real. He is, he is the fullness of God in bodily form. That's who he is. He is the, the person of God, that he who looks at the Son looks at the Father. The scriptures state that the fullness of God, that all his majesty, all his holiness, all his mercy, all his compassion, all his judgment, all his wrath, all his hatred of sin is veiled, is covered, is adorned in the person of Jesus Christ. There is none like Jesus. There is none like him. He literally is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And we need to understand that. We need to grasp that. This is who he is. Why? That is so important because the second point in verse 10 is that of that fullness, the fullness of God that dwells in Christ bodily, that fullness therefore grants us fullness. Like I said, we always lack. We do lack. We always feel like, but when it comes to meeting God's standards, we all fall far short. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. But in Christ, through faith, by grace, through faith in Him, we are made full. We are made complete. The New King James actually translates that word fullness as complete. We are made complete in Him. We are brought to completion through what He has done. And that is absolutely made. Because of His fullness, we are made complete. Because of His fullness, He has healed the broken. Because of His fullness, He has brought to completion that which was left undone. That is what takes place within your heart. We truly are new creations in Christ. And how old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that a blessing that has been bestowed upon you and I? That what we have in Christ now is completion. And to grasp these truths about our completion due to the fullness of God in Christ means that we we can stop trying to earn God's favor because in Christ, that favor is ours already. That we need to stop trying so hard to earn God's approval. Why? Because in Christ, that approval has already been granted. That we need to stop trying to earn God's acceptance. Why? Because in Christ, I have been accepted. This, this is what is granted to me in Jesus Christ, my fullness, my completion is, in the direct, is the direct result of God's grace in Jesus Christ who loved me and who gave himself for me. 
And this is explained in even more detail in the death and in the burial and in the resurrection of Christ, of which we too also partake. Let me explain. In verse 11, you read this. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, circumcision isn't usually associated with death as it is a common right for Jewish males to be circumcised on the eighth day. A small portion of flesh is removed. Uh, but here it is used as a gruesome picture of the crucifixion. Jesus' circumcision was not of a small piece of flesh, but a stripping away of his entire body through a brutal and violent death on the cross. That in him, we spiritually share of his circumcision. We share of his death, whereby grace through faith in him, we are cut away from our own sinful nature. We are dead to our former way of life. That's what happens. That's, that's what happens. That's how we partake of his death. We are cut away from our former way of life. That's the death that we partake of. But you continue reading in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, after being in him with his death, we are then buried with him in baptism. Baptism, which points to a very important reality, baptism referring to the burial of Christ's body. This guy named Peter O'Brien says this, uh, quote, the Colossians' burial with him in baptism shows they were truly involved in his death and laid in his grave. The burial proves that a real death has occurred and the old life is now a thing of the past. We are no longer bound to or captive by the power of sin. We have been freed from its hold and enabled in Christ to be more than conquerors. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, we read this. Our old self was crucified with him. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is why our baptism is so important, as it reinforces the fact that regardless of how I feel, I am free of sin's hold. I am free of sin's power. It's no, I, I, I am no longer bound by it. That's what happens with the burial, that with that taken to, 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 to be buried, it is dealt with. Because in the case of our death and in the case of our burial, in him has the greatest of significance because I will rise with him too. Verse 13, when you were dead, oh, yeah, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
I Kent Hughes uh, observes that this resurrection is not future, but now, present tense. We have been made alive with Christ now. Because he lives, we live also now. We are now, yeah, we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Ephesians 2, 6, now. We are walking in the newness of life. Romans 6 talks about this, walking in the newness of life now. We are victorious in Christ now. For in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, he forgave us all our sins, the rest of verse 13 says. Verse 14 says, Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. To Telestai, it is finished. The debt is paid. The penalty taken away. For in Christ, it has been done. You see, and I shared this a while ago, what they would do, what they would do is that they would write the offense of whatever crime it was, and then they would actually nail it to the cross. So that when people walking by and seeing the crucified people, they would know what was their condemnation. Remember on the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross they had king of the Jews. So what would happen is that they would take a particular crime and they would write it down, then they would nail it to the cross, which means this, which means this, that for me, if I am in Christ, if I am in him, all of my offenses against God, all of my breaking of God's law, all of my, my sin against the Almighty, my pride, you know, Joe's pride, Joe's arrogance, Joe's selfishness, Joe's lust, Joe's lies, Joe's hatred, Joe's anger, all of those things were written down. All of my offenses that had been recorded were folded up and they were nailed to the cross of Christ. They were nailed to the cross of Christ, which means this. When he, when he died and paid the price for my sin, my debt was paid. Which means this, when he was buried and I was buried with him, that in him I was buried too, my sin was taken to the grave. And when he rose again from the dead, I rose again with him, free of all of sin's penalty, all of sin's power, and ultimately all of sin's presence. That is what has taken place. That is the fullness that I now experience in Jesus Christ because I have been set free from my old self. This is one of the greatest things that you and I need to get a hold of. That's why we're told to reckon ourselves dead to sin because sin no longer has hold over us. And we read this at the end, verse 15, that through his his death, his burial and resurrection, of which we partake of in him, he, in verse 15, disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. The powers and authorities are the demonic powers in opposition to Jesus Christ and to his church. And the spectacle is being made of them pointing to the fact that they in Christ have been overcome, that they in Christ have been defeated, and that they in Christ have been rendered powerless. 
the picture is given, and I remember many years ago at the Moorland Conquerors camp, what they would do after they would conquer another nation and conquer an opposing king, they would set up a big parade to show the powerlessness of the king that they had captured. And they would have a, uh, a procession, and they would have all the treasures, all the spoils of war that were taken, all the prisoners, um, and all, all of these things would just be paraded in front of all the other people in Rome. And then they would have... Ultimately, at the end, they would have the, the, the opposing king who had been shown and humiliated that he had been conquered. They would have the king's family, the king's servants. They would have a whole bunch of other prisoners. And the last person to come along in the parade would be the king themselves, the reigning general. There was one particular person in history when they conquered Macedonia. I think it was Emilius Paulus was his name. And at the end, he would be there and people would realize he had been conquered by this one and say, I have complete control over this. I have shown and demonstrated my force and my power over this enemy. Now, this is the picture Paul is giving for us, that in Christ, the enemy has been defeated. That in Christ, the enemy has been rendered powerless. That in Christ, they have been overcome. So that's when it's, we are to see that while such things, while the enemy still exists, while the enemy is still there, they are defeated. They've been conquered by the blood of Jesus and rendered powerless and defeated in Jesus' name. Arkent Hughes says this, We need no longer fear the outcome of our battle with evil. Christ has conquered. We have conquered. We will conquer. In view of all this, in view of all this, why then would we go to anywhere else or to anyone else but to the Lord Jesus Christ himself for the fullness of life and for the fullness of purpose? Why else would we want to go? Now, look, having relationships is wonderful. Knowing people and being involved with people is a wonderful thing. Please don't misunderstand me. But to find our fullness in human relationships will ultimately lead us to disappointment. Why? Because people let us down. People will fail us. Why else would we go? Why should we not go to the Lord Jesus Christ to have fullness of relationship, intimacy of friendship? I mean, do, do your best at work. Do your best at school. Do your best in your careers and things. But don't look for your fullness of purpose in such things. Because ultimately, jobs can be lost. Ultimately, houses can, can be gone. Things wear down. Things you can't take with you. But to find your purpose in the fullness of Jesus Christ, that lasts to eternity. Because to sit down and look for your purpose in things leads ultimately to emptiness and frustration. By faith, by faith, we are to trust in and live according to the word of God. The person of Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. Instead of being taken captive by the hollow traditions and the philosophies of humanity, maybe we should be captivated and caught up in the greatness and in the person of our Lord Jesus, knowing that we will receive fullness of purpose, fullness of life, fullness of love, fullness of, of, of mercy, fullness of compassion, fullness of grace in the person of Christ and in Him alone. My encouragement to you today, my encouragement to you is that as you head off on your day, as you go from here, you will not be worried or caught up in 
the, fear, the cares and affairs of this life. Instead, you would come to know and understand the greatness of who Jesus is and find your contentment in him and in him alone. So, may we pray the same prayer as Paul, that we might know him and the power of his resurrection and the, and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. May we, may we come to know and understand that so intimately that we would not be content with the second-rate things that this world has to offer. So, may we come to know and experience the fullness of Christ that we have been given and been made available to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the fullness in Jesus. We thank you so much that you give us the greatness and the fullness that extends so far beyond what this world has to offer. Help us to truly appreciate what you've given us in your Son. And as we go from here now, may you encourage us, may you challenge us, may you burden our hearts to, to hold on to you and everything that you are for our contentment and for our abundance in life. We ask for you to dismiss us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for allowing me to share the word with you this morning. I pray you've taken something away from this. And if you'd like to discuss it in our Zoom meeting, it'd be great to catch up with you and talk with you guys a little bit after this. So God bless, and we'll see you guys next week.